Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Community Church, how are you today? That good. Good morning, Free Life Community Church. Better, thank you. We're smaller today, but we should be mightier, amen? Welcome uh, to our Mecca campus. How are you today? Welcome to those of you listening online, watching online, and those of you listening on our radio station, our radio broadcast. Uh, what a great day it is to be a Christian. Isn't it? It's a great day to be a Christian. And we're starting a brand spanking new sermon series today in conjunction with All In, which is our, our yearly uh, uh, theme, uh, and today we're beginning becoming more like Jesus, and this sermon is becoming like Jesus by growing through practice. Now I have something to tell you today. Every single thing I have ever done and became any good at took practice, and I can't ever remember really loving practice. Anybody? Costa Lil will tell you that we have kids in wrestling programs and in high school, middle school, even in college, that some are wickedly talented and try to win on talent alone. They only go so far. But the kid who might not necessarily have a lot of talent but gives their all in practice and does everything they can typically surpasses the one with talent alone. Am I right? You can't coach heart. We'd like to. You can't do it. But you can take the heart of somebody who wants more and invest in them. And I have found as a coach in anything I've ever done in life that the person that puts out and desires more and wants to put in the work and effort, I will invest in them before the one that just wants to give to them. Anybody? And so my question to us today is this. What effort are we putting forth for God's kingdom? Are we practicing to get better at our Christianity? Teams that don't practice typically fail. People who don't practice typically stall out. Uh, I don't want to pick on my grandson, but uh, a couple days ago, they had, it was kind of cold out, it was kind of rainy, and they had baseball practice, and one of my grandsons didn't want to go. And I get it, <laughs> I didn't want to go to hardly any of them. But I told them, you have this desire to be really good at play, being, being a baseball player and playing ball. You want to be good on the field in a game, and you want to use that as a stepping stone to be good enough to play in high school and to be good enough to be selected by a university to come and play baseball for them on a scholarship. Do you not? Yeah. Okay. It takes practice. And not just once. All the time. All the time. And I can't remember really enjoying practice. Now, I, I can tell you this. 
Sometimes when I learned something new or I, or I had a really good practice, I enjoyed it. But I've had some pretty poor practices too. Where I just, everything I did, it didn't work. It didn't, didn't work right. And I knew if I didn't up my game here, I was going to be horrible in, in, a, in a match or in a game. Hey, we all want to quit. We all want to quit. In the United States Marine Corps, I remember going through combat training and boot camp, and we were all sick and tired of it. And most of the times, the drill instructors just forced us to do it and tell, didn't tell us why, because they didn't have to. <laughs> We had, we had no right to know why we were doing things. Well, we all questioned it. Didn't we, Marine? Didn't we, Marine? Didn't we, Marine? Where is he? Where's Clyde? <laughs> anyway, so we knew, okay? We, we knew that we had to do this, and there was a reason for it. We didn't understand it. Maybe we didn't like it, but we had to do it. And I remember one drill instructor came over one time, and he wasn't ours, but he was. he realized we were at the end of our rope. We were... We were gassed. We had, it was late in the night. It was, we were, it, I, nobody knew who anybody was. The cordite and the smoke from, you know, the stuff that they're setting off and trying to make as real a combat situation as they could. And, and we, were, we were done. Sleep deprived, you name it. Okay, hungry, tired, cold. And so he, he said, let me tell you this. The more you sweat in practice, the less you bleed in combat. The more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in combat. I did not know it, but I would prove that to be true just a year later, two years later. So, friends, what I'm here to tell you is that practice is important. You heard it said, practice makes, I want to be a perfect Christian. Anybody? I really want to be a perfect Christian. And there's people out there going to say, it's not possible. Oh, that, then, then that's not biblical. John Wesley said, Christian perfection is possible. He didn't think he'd reach it. Didn't know if any Christian ever would. But it's possible. Because Jesus went to Calvary to make us completely like him. Yes or no? And if we're completely like him, are we perfect? You bet. So we have a lifetime learning and trying to be like him until we reach perfection. Even if we never do, we should strive for it. Amen? And so it takes practice. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm really excited about this sermon series because it's so practical. It gives us opportunity to learn things and be readdressed in things and to be reminded of things that probably we knew but haven't really practiced or remembered. And we need to be reminded. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at what Paul writes in his letter to Timothy. He says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, friends, that ought to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up your stomach get all queasy and butterflies and really make you uneasy in your spirit. If you're a Christian, really a Christian, that should make you be very uncomfortable. The Spirit clearly says, clearly, that in later times, are we in later times? Some will abandon the faith. 
and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. We're going to address that in a minute. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. I have to tell you something. I believe that some people will read this, claim to be Christian, and be offended by what they're reading. They're going to be offended by what they're reading in the Scripture. How could that be? How could a Christian really be offended by something that's written in the Word of God? Let me tell you how. When you don't want to believe it. When you don't want to think it's true. And when you don't like what's there. You could be, and probably will be, offended by it. If you're offended in any way by the Word of God, are you a Christian? Well, I don't know. But I wonder. It will be for God to decide, amen? But the fact of the matter is, if I'm offended by something, I think I better look at it again. I think I better say, okay, it's not God that needs to change. It's not the Word that needs to change. And you can't say, well, Jesus didn't say it. That's Paul, and so it doesn't count. Well, Jesus sanctioned Paul to write these things. He called him himself. Didn't he? On the road to Damascus. Did he or did he not? Did he not set him as the missionary for the church? Did he not teach him by the power of the Spirit? Yes. How else would Paul have known what Jesus taught the, the original 12 and, and the, those apostles and disciples in Jerusalem because Paul wasn't with them? How would he know the same things that they know and teach the same things they're teaching? And the Bible says clearly that ha that happened. How would he know? Well, we know how. In fact, Paul was taught more about the depths of these things than anybody else that wrote in the Scripture at all. And so, this is what he says. He goes on and says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There's a key. Those who know the truth. He indicates that there might be people in the church that say they're Christians but don't know the truth. Now, what about that? Is that possible in the modern church today? People say they're Christians but don't know the truth? <laughs> he says, for everything God created is good. That blows some theologies right out of the water, doesn't it? All things that God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Now, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, take note of that. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, this is trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is a Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. He's the God of all people, but especially of those who truly believe. Did you hear that? Friends, <laughs> I don't know that I can do this passage justice in one sermon, but based on the depth of the series, I'm going to try. Now, Paul explains to Timothy in this passage that spiritual transformation clearly only comes 
through spiritual training. Did you hear that? Spiritual transformation only comes through spiritual training. In other words, you want to be transformed, you say you want to be, you will never do it. It will never happen if you do not train for this transformation. In other words, you can't become spiritual unless you are spiritual. Ooh. You know what I think our problem is? We're making our own definition of what spiritual is. The church is making its own definition of what spiritual actually is. Do we get to determine what's spiritual? I remember a number of years ago, going to Indianapolis, had my squad car, deputy sheriff, you know. And I'm cruising along. I had a meeting in Indianapolis, and I was cruising along, and I was well out of county. Uh, law enforcement officers in Indiana have law enforcement authority anywhere in Indiana. Most people don't know that. So don't be surprised if you get stopped or whatever out aside of someone's jurisdiction because there is no jurisdictional boundaries unless a police or sheriff's department has made that upon their officers. But by law, a law enforcement officer has jurisdiction anywhere, which means I could go to Evansville, ride a ticket. I can go to South Bend, ride a ticket. I can go, you understand? And so people don't like it, and they get angry, but it doesn't matter what you think. The fact of the matter is you, they can enforce the law anywhere. And I remember somebody I was behind was causing such a traffic jam because they absolutely refused to leave the passing lane. Does that drive anybody crazy? Does that drive you nuts? And, and people say, why is that a law? Why did the governor of Indiana, at the time was Mike Pence, why did Governor Pence sign a law that says if someone is behind you in the passing lane on, on an interstate or a, or, a, or, a, or a two-lane highway, why, if they flash their lights at you, do you have to move? And let me tell you why. Because people do this. They break the law by crossing the white line and the center line. And that causes all sorts of problems, and it has caused deaths on the highway. So the governor said, get out of the way, let them go past. So this was happening. And this person absolutely refused to move. And I'm about 15 cars back. And so finally, I got, I thought, this has got, because everybody's doing this. And I'm thinking, they don't see me back here. Okay? And I have lights on top of my car. So I finally, what we call, lit them up, and I went, and people started getting over them. It's funny when you turn on your lights, people, you see everybody's head go up in the, and all of a sudden, they all slow down, and you know. And so everybody got over, and I get behind this person, and, and I could see that it's an elderly person. And this individual just kept right on going. He just kept right on, and he would not pull over. And finally, I had to hit the siren. And he finally looks up and sees me, and he pulls over. And he looked at me like I'm crazy when I get out of the car. And he, two things he said. You're not in uniform. I don't have to stop. I said, well, yes, you do. I'm in a marked car. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing. I'm in a marked car. Secondly, you know, then he got angry. He said, are you in this county? I said, no, I'm in Vigo County. Well, you can't stop me. Well, wrong again. Well, I wasn't doing anything. Yes, you were. You're breaking the law. How so? You were in a passing lane, and people were trying to pass you. I saw people flashing their lights. I saw people swerving, trying to get past you. But I was going the speed limit. It doesn't matter. You had to move. No, I don't. I know you think you don't, but you do. And this 
This argument went on until I'd had enough. I said, look, two things. If you'll promise me that when people do that, you'll acknowledge that I've made you aware that that's the law in Indiana, and you could get a ticket for it, you could get a citation for it, and it will cost you, it can be $500 first time offense. What? Yeah, really. It's a safety issue. But I was going the speed limit. It doesn't matter. But they're going to speed. You let me worry about that. But you don't catch them all. Don't have to. I'm not here to catch them all. I'm here to enforce the law. And you're no different than they are. You're breaking the law just like someone who's exceeding the posted limit. And he couldn't get in his head. Because he had justified in his mind what he thought was legal and what wasn't. What was right and what wasn't. And you know what, friends, I learned? We do that as Christians too. We determine in our own mind what we think is spiritual. If I act holy in a manner way that most of people in my church would think is holy, I must be. If I think I'm spiritual, then I am. But we don't get to determine either one of those things. God determines if you're holy. God determines if you're spiritual. And it doesn't matter what practices or things that you do. You're only convincing yourself. God determines what's spiritual. And I, and I realized as I began to think about that, that if we don't practice what the Word of God says to the letter, then we might as well not even consider ourselves to be Christians. Because if you think you're a Christian, doesn't mean you are. God determines if you are. Friends, without practicing spiritual truth and spiritual discipline that the Bible lays out, we will never experience spiritual development. And that could be a problem. The Apostle Paul sent this letter to a much younger Timothy who was his kind of protege. And he's building Timothy up to be a pastor because Paul knows he has limited time on the earth because what he's doing is going to get him killed. And God's going to allow it eventually. And when God is finished with him, and the time will come, when he is, and Timothy and others like Timothy will have to step up. The difference is, instead of Paul, instead of just having Paul now, we will have several Pauls who have grown up, and there's more people, and they'll do the same. And then before you know it, it snowballs, it expands, and everybody is teaching a greater populace of people in the manner of ways. And it all started with the Apostle Paul. And isn't that what the church is supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to rise up pastors and, and strong lay people to teach and preach the word? Yes or no? Can't do it if you're not practicing it. Amen? Because you're not believable. You know, you've heard it said, you know, do as I, do as I say, not as I do. Well, not very many people follow that. And you know what? It might be disrespectful for a child to tell you, well, you don't. But it doesn't make them wrong, does it? It might be disrespectful, but it isn't wrong. And that ought to open our eyes. If we're telling our children to act a certain way, but we won't. I would rather follow somebody who practices it. He uses that by example. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. And so he wanted Timothy to lead and feed and teach the church that he had entrusted him to be pastor in the city of Ephesus. And so he writes this letter to him. In chapter 1, we find that he gave Timothy instructions on how to handle false teachers and false teaching. Because you're going to get it. Paul knew you're going to get it. And Paul knew what was happening. He said, you, gotta, you, gotta, you don't want to throw everybody out. You want to bring them in and say, listen, I understand why you think and believe that, but it isn't true. So let's look at the truth here. Let's go back to the Word of God. Let's look at the truth, and let's begin to teach the truth. And you can't do that unless you're in there, because you won't know. And so... Timothy had to do that. 
And then we find out that Paul taught him how to engage in spiritual warfare. He said the devil's going to come knocking. And when he does, you better be prayed up. And you better be knowing what's in there. Because you can't defeat the enemy without knowing the word of God. You just can't. Okay? So you're going to have to do that. And he says, more than that, I want you to preach the word of God. And in verse, or chapters 2 and 3, he says, I'm going to give you some instruction on prayer and what the qualifications are for leaders in the church. Because in the church, friends, and, and I need you to listen to this, you pastors especially, and you people who are on the board, and you people who are rising up to be leaders in some manner, you are different than everybody else. And more than that, the church church protocol and Christianity teaches and rises up leaders differently than society does. Do you understand that? You can take some of the things you learn in society as a leader and, and apply it in, in a church setting. But there's an awful lot of things that you learn out there as a leader that you need to forget and be raised and taught in the church to do it. Because leadership in the church is very different than it is out there. And I don't care how good of a leader you are. People can be tremendous CEOs and leaders of corporations out there, but they would be horrific Christian leaders. And you know why? Because they think and lead from a secular standpoint, not a spiritual one. And I can tell you this. I was a sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps and became a captain eventually through the warrant officer program. And I knew how to lead people. And you don't get to those positions without knowing. And when I got into the church, I found that my spiritual understanding of leadership and my secular and military learning of leadership clashed all the time. And I realized I could use certain things but the spiritual is different. I found it to be true as a leader in a corporation, on ball teams, committees, boards. It's different. And unfortunately in church today, we have people who are drawing on their secular experience, secular understanding, and they're trying to lead that way in the church, and we're failing. And Paul's telling Timothy, don't do that. I know you're a great leader. God gave you those abilities and you've proven it. But I need you to allow the spirit to come upon you and develop your leadership in a different way. Drawing upon the basis of your natural ability and your learned ability. But it has to be tweaked and changed. And pastors fail because they don't allow it. And God had to get a hold of me a couple times. And I still do things wrong sometimes. I lead out of my natural ability sometimes versus the spiritual that God's trying to teach. See, we're trying to live our lives, friends. And we separate things. Right now, I am observing and watching people. And I'm not being political. Don't hear me being political. But people are right now separating their Christian faith from their political desires. And they will vote for people that are not Christian. And they'll do it on friendship alone. And if I know about it, I call them out. And every single time I've done it this year, and I've done it already, every single time, and Matt watched me do it. Didn't you, Matt? 
to somebody who's very prominent in our community. And I said, how can you do this? You claim that you're a Christian, but you're not voting that way. You're not supporting that way. I want to know why. And if you want my vote as a Christian, then you, then you owe me an answer. And all he could say was, friendship, 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 friendship. Sorry, that's not going to fly for me. And this is what the Bible talks about when it says, sometimes you will lose friendships because of your faith, because of your resolve, because of your desire to be obedient. And we're not willing to do that sometimes. So you know what we'll do? Either we'll not say anything about it and keep it quiet and do what we want in private in the voting booth. Or we'll justify it. Listen, this has got nothing to do with politics. It's got everything to do with the spiritual disciplines that God's given us. And they're the same for every Christian, no matter what church you're in, what state you live in, what country you live in, what your practices are, what your belief system is. It's all right here. And Paul is saying, Timothy, we need to teach this. And here in chapter 4, the apostle pleads with Timothy concerning the spiritual growth of the church. He tells him that the pastor and the people must constantly surrender themselves to the practice of spiritual discipline, this biblical now, and grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And your own personal desires, your friendships, your practices, your belief systems, none of those things matter. They only matter when you realize that you need to change. You see, your spirituality comes in and takes over everything. And it must manifest itself in every belief system, every practice, every action. Everything you say is determined by your spirituality. You cannot separate those things. And that's where the church is failing because we are. And it's my responsibility, and it's your responsibility to call it out when people say they're a Christian. Say, well, I know you say that, and I know you'd go to such and such church, and I know, okay, but how can you support this person who's not a Christian when there's one running who is? How can you say I'm a Christian today and go out and do these things that the Bible says you should not? How can you say I'm a Christian, and yet you spend more time for your own personal gain than you do anything in God's kingdom? How can you do it? And I'm, I'm not saying be mean about it, and I'm not saying be the church police and say, hey, because we, we get in trouble with that, being the church police. That's not, your, that's not your call. Just like that guy who says, well, they're all going to speed. Well, you let me worry about that. That's my job, not yours. And, we, and God's telling us the same thing. You don't worry about those things. You worry about you. You worry about being what I want you to be. Because if you do that, and everybody does that, guess what the church is going to do? Well, it's going to soar. It's going to, it's going to grow. It's, it's, going to, it's going to be successful. It's going to be effective, and it's going to stop being irrelevant. You know why the church is irrelevant today? Because we're all practicing our own brand of Christianity. In the church and, as, and, and, and the whole as churches. That's the problem. Which is why churches are in the middle of a split right now. Entire denominations are in the middle of splitting right now. Because people can't agree on what's biblical. And I don't understand that because it's right there. It's right there. Especially, Pastor Bob, on this issue, the, the Methodist Church is splitting right now. It's right there. And you know why there's a split? Because people want to believe what they want to believe to do what? Yes. Because we want to do what we want to do. God doesn't give it that authority. 
I'm sorry? Well, that's it. Well, in, in, I wouldn't say it's versions, it's translation. But they all still say the same thing on that <laughs> and others. But the fact of the matter is, and this is where I'm at, he tells Timothy that the people must constantly surrender themselves to these disciplines because you can't become like Christ unless you do. And more than that, in our text, he speaks to Timothy, and through him, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. About what? Well, those who are departing from the faith, about those who are working to develop in the faith, and about those who are disciple-making for the faith. And the only question we have today is, which one are you? You ought to be the latter two. You ought to be the latter two. Because if you're not the latter two, then you're the first. And you may not even know it. You may not want to believe it. And you may be so callous to it, what you want to think and believe, that you're going to go talk to the hand. And we're doing it. So, let's take a look at these things. Number one, practicing spiritual disciplines keeps us from leaving faith in Christ. You have to practice what the Bible says. Paul says people will leave the faith. This isn't a possibility. It's a certainty. People will leave the faith. Now, it's happened. You know it's happened, and it's going to continue to happen. Paul warned of those who would depart from the faith. In fact, understand that Paul isn't talking about those who just up and decide, well, I'm just not going to be a Christian anymore. That's happened, and people do it. But he's not talking about that. I think most of the time we read that and say, well, yeah, I know people just get tired of Christianity or, or, or God doesn't do what they want or, or they don't understand it. So they just decide they're not going to do it anymore. He's not talking about those people. You understand that? Oh, that happens. But Paul isn't, because those that do that are very few. There's very, it's very slim that that happens. It does happen. It has happened. I've seen people do it. But there aren't very many that do that. So what is Paul talking about? He's clearly talking about those who claim to be a Christian, who say they're a Christian, who actually believe that maybe they are a Christian, and yet their lives absolutely do not prove it. That's the people that left the faith. It doesn't matter what you think you are, what you say you are, or what even you convince others that you are. Sanford and Son was one of my favorite shows on television. He used to love Sanford and Son. Fred Sanford could talk people into anything, couldn't he? And uh, I remember one time he needed an attorney, and he couldn't afford to get a pricey attorney. And so somebody said they knew somebody who was an attorney and blah, blah, blah. And so he had a meeting with this individual, and, the indivi and, and he, said, uh, he said, are you an attorney or are you not an attorney? He goes, well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I'm an attorney. Well, who says you ain't? State of California. And we all laughed at that because, wow, you know, because it was funny. But it isn't funny because this is happening. This is happening all over the world today in the modern church. And I think God's asking us, well, who, who, who says you're a Christian? Well, if you ask me, I'm a Christian. Who says you ain't? Well, I don't know, but God might. And if he does, that's a problem. And so, friends, it mostly has nothing to do with how nice people are, if, even if they act like a Christian most of the time. That's got nothing to do with it. But that's how, how we define Christianity today, if they act like what we think a Christian ought to look like. It, it stuns me that people will come up to you who don't claim to be a Christian, who've never said that they were. But see, here's the thing. People think they're a Christian if they believe in God. 
Did, did you know that? People think they're Christian if they believe in God. And, and I, this has happened to me even as a minister. I didn't do something that some people think that a Christian ought to do or be. And I've had people tell me, and you call yourself a Christian. And I say, well, you're not one, so how would you know? In your mind, you think a Christian ought to be this, but you don't practice as one, so how would you know what Christianity is? You think that if I don't give resources to people that really need it, or you think that I don't do certain things that you think I ought to do, that I'm not a Christian? God doesn't direct me to give people things every time they need it. He never has. But some people live their Christianity by thinking, just give, 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 give. No, God doesn't define Christianity like that. In fact, some people ought not because we're hurting them more than helping them. Did you know that? I think we do need to be the hands and feet of Christ, and I think we do need to help people when they need to be helped. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But if your Christianity is defined by how much money you give or how many things you provide for people or how much compassion you have for somebody, that is not a Christian, my friend. Jesus didn't heal every single person that needed healing when he walked the earth. Did he? Now, did he? No. He went to the pool of Bethesda. Everybody there needed to be healed. He only healed one person. What do you do with that? You see, we've, we've misunderstood what Christianity is sometimes. And some people, their compassion in their heart compels them that's the kind of ministry compassion ministries is what they do that's fine that's fine and lord knows we need those people pastor bob pastor chris don't we pastor jonathan do we need those people yes but is everybody called to that maybe to a point but others it tugs on their heart more than other people it does so everybody paul says they're, they're the church is one body. We all have different gifts. We all have different callings. We all have different... So use the things that God's given you. But Christianity is not defined by how many things you can give people. Neither is Christianity defined based on what you think it is or what society says it is or even what the church says it is. Now, Paul also says that their belief system is going to depart from what God has said is true Christianity. He's talking about these people. He said, they're going to depart from what I say it is. And you can see this all over the church today. We're in this spiritual exodus in the church right now. We are in a spiritual exodus in the church. And it shocks me that most, more pastors won't talk about it. It's almost like we don't want to believe it's happening. It's almost like we're afraid to go against the flow. You know, it's interesting to me because um, I, I, I'm fascinated by um, the, the video series, The Chosen. Who's, who's watching that? Some of you are watching it right now in your small group, right? Your life group. Who's watching that in your life group right now? Yeah. How many of you have seen it before? If, if you notice when they, they start the, the movie and then, or the, each, each uh, episode, and then uh, it goes to, you know, the credit and things are happening. And, and so all these fishes are going in a circle or they're all going this way. Have you noticed that? And Jesus is going the other way, and once in a while they'll turn. See that? They'll turn and follow him. But it's going against the grain of everybody else. And that's how it began. Friends, I got news for you. The Bible's clear that the church gained, and then it's going to decline, and it's already happening, and you're going to see less Christians now per capita than you did then. And so 
the majority of people are going this way. Henceforth, when the Bible says there's going to be more goats than there are sheep, you better believe it. And I'm going to tell you something. The goats are not people who weren't Christian. There are people who thought they were. Do you understand that? There are people who thought and said they were Christians. That's what Jesus is talking about. He himself said it. I don't know how we can get away from it. I heard a Christian not too long ago in a restaurant say, well, God loves everybody and he would never let people go to hell. Friends, I, I, I don't know what to do with that person. What do you mean God would never let anyone go to hell? Well, God didn't let anybody do anything. You discerned. You decided. Even in a ridiculous movie like Bruce Almighty. Who's seen Bruce Almighty or have heard of it? It's ridiculous. But Jim Carrey has given God-like powers for a so long, long period of time. And, you know, Morgan Freeman is, plays the character of God, and he comes in and says, but there's rules here. You cannot change free will. That's what you can't do. And, and, and even, even a secular movie, this ridiculous, even makes that claim because it's true. You cannot, God will not change free will. You have to choose to change. See, God is unchangeable. He is not, he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and always. Amen. Does the Bible say that? So who has changed? Well, it's us. God changed you when you became a Christian. And when you fall from it, you have changed away from it. Yeah? That's what's happened. And so clearly, as we look at this thing, it's sad and scary all at the same time because the Spirit of God communicated to Paul that those in the church who were not in the Word and in prayer would slip into these deceptive beliefs and teachings. They would slip and fall from these demonic influences. And I, Can anybody see demonic influence in the world today? Anybody see it? Okay. Uh, they're going to be closed uh, and, and have dead consciences. It's like we won't care. They would believe and practice things that were not biblical or godly, and he emphasized that Christians must stay in the Word and teach the Word. See, somehow what we've done as a church is we want to learn and grow. We want to get all the, gain all this knowledge. We want to have these, these changes within us, but we don't go out and teach them to people. Because that's the pastor's job, don't you know? Well, no, it's all of our jobs to do it. Paul tells Timothy and us as well to stay in the Word and teach it. This is so that we and the people that we lead, those that we have influence over, whether we think we do or not, could be good servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes you influence people and you never said a word. It's just the life you live. And so the constant engagement with the Scriptures through this personal study, small group, or life group study, discussion, accountability, as well as pastoral teaching and preaching. These are all parts and ways that we learn. It nourishes our faith, helps us to become more like Christ. You see, biblical preaching initially gets you out of the world. I need you to get this. Biblical preaching initially gets you out of the world, okay? But biblical teaching and practice gradually gets the world out of you. You understand? You see, practicing biblical and spiritual disciplines keeps us from departing from the faith. And right here, he's warning of that. And none of us can say that it would never happen to us. <laughs> can we? Because the church is filled with people who have absolutely departed the faith. Because they don't even know what true faith is anymore. 
because we've made our own brand of Christianity. Sometimes it's by church and sometimes it's by person, but we've done it. And God's going to say, no, sir. And I'm not here to tell you what it is. I'm telling you to get in the word of God and find out. Amen? Amen. Secondly, practicing spiritual disciplines helps us develop in the faith. It helps us develop in the faith. Paul says that. He says, train yourself in or for godliness. The ESV translates it this way. Train yourself in godliness. That's not what the NIV says, but it's close. And, of course, you know, ESV, NASB, they are direct translations. Okay? So I always go back to them to make sure that we haven't missed something, even though I know NIV is the most popular thing out there. So basically, it kind of changes a little bit, or it gets a little deeper here in the, in the original Greek than what some versions tell us. And I think that's, believe that's what you were trying to talk about a minute ago. So basically, it's like I said earlier, athletes don't get better by trying, they get better by training. Yeah? You could be an athlete who didn't train at all, and you could go out there on game day and try and give your very best, and it ain't going to get you anywhere. But you can tell the person who's trained. Amen? So you don't learn to play the piano just by saying you can play, do you? You learn by practicing. And Christians can't be spiritually transformed without spiritual training. To train yourself in godliness means practice the spiritual disciplines that facilitate the growth that Paul's talking about and that God demands. If you don't practice what the Word of God says, how can you truly develop in your faith? Well, you can't, and you won't. You make a good attempt at it, though, by being spiritual. By making up Christianity as you go along based on what your feelings or what you want to believe. And a lot of people are doing that today. And since when have our feelings ever been an accurate gauge for the truth? Never. Amen? Your feelings change like the wind. They change every day. Amen? Well, how can we use human understanding to determine Christianity then? Because you know how we think. Paul says, you must have the renewing of your mind. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And who has to do that? Well, the Spirit does. Not other people. Not your own self. See, friends, this is, this is what it means. And if you aren't developing your faith, then how can you say you're a Christian at all? In fact, many truly aren't. I don't get to make that decision, but God will. And yet they'll get incredibly offended if anyone says that to them. Are you sure you're a Christian when you believe and think these things? What? How dare you? How can I not? If you're believing, teaching, or practicing things that are clearly against the Word of God, I have responsibility to you. God says I do. Well, you're judging me. Sort of. I can judge what's the fruit of the Spirit or not. I can judge what's Christian behavior and what's not. I can judge whether you're living biblically or not. I can't judge whether you've been saved or not. That's up to God to determine that. But I, I know what your life shows me. Well, Jesus said don't judge. That's not what he said. He said if your heart isn't right, if you read further, if your heart isn't right, then you should not be judging. How can you look at a speck in your brother's eye if you've got a plank in yours? In other words, you have to be right before you do it. Amen? Mm -hmm. But he admonished us to be right, didn't he? 
when we read the Bible, when we journal, when we memorize scripture, fellowship with other believers, allow ourselves to be held accountable, we get involved in the work of the Great Commission and disciple others to a deeper Christianity, that and only then is when we position ourselves for God to mature us spiritually. In fact, friends, God will transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ when we allow him to. When we allow him to. You see, we can't cause ourselves to grow in our own strength and effort, but we can give God the space and the permission to make the changes in us. Amen? And who, who among us has done that? You know? Because God wants to know if you're willing to allow him to transform you. He, want, he wants to know. And you do so by giving permission, by practicing the spiritual disciplines he's commanded in order that he might change you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy that bodily training, physical training, does benefit us, but only in this life. You understand that? And I, I, listen, I'm not telling you not to have fitness. I'm not telling you not to carry, carry your body. And I love that people do that. But here's the thing. With this fitness craze, and there are so many different things. I, every night, I can turn on the television and watch almost any channel, and some type of a new fitness machine will come across the screen. Now, th that's good if you'll do it, okay? But if we, as Christians, would exercise spiritual disciplines as much as we're trying to do the physical ones, you tell me what the church would do. Amen? Because sometimes this physical training borders on vanity, not trying to be healthy. You know it and I know it. Listen, I'm not telling you not to be healthy. I'm not telling you not to lose weight if you need to. I'm not telling you not to make yourself look good. I'm not telling you not to use deodorant, things like that. Come on. Right? God wouldn't either. But when it's more about you than it is about him, we have a problem. Okay? And we're going to talk about that also here in a minute. You see, spiritual training benefits you for this life and more importantly for the one to come. Growth is not automatic. We somehow, some way, think that it is. No. When people tell me, I've gone to church all my life. Great. What did you do with it? What did you learn? Has it changed you? If so, how? And when they look at you with deer in the headlights, well... They don't know. In fact, if we don't practice and grow, what are we doing? Declining. Does the Bible tell us that? Yeah. You see, we have to practice spiritual disciplines to experience spiritual development. None of us ought to think that we're better spiritual than we actually are because you don't get to determine that. And it doesn't matter what other people tell you. Oh, it might give you an indication, but they don't determine that either. Because you know what people do? If we don't like the truth when it's taught in one church, we'll go find a church where we can bypass that part and get like-minded people around us. We feel better that way. <laughs> well, that might be good for this life, but it won't be in the next. Yeah? My question is, which life are you living for? Which one would God say you're living for? Well, I, I can't determine that, but you can. He will. Look at the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Did you hear that? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
idolaters, adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality. <laughs> you heard me right. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, not one sin in that group is greater than another. Not one is worse than another. But the fact is, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. Not my words. Word of God. Doesn't matter what translation you have, neither. Says it. Do you think that somebody's going to read that and be offended by that? Guarantee it. Are they a Christian? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to question it. You see, there are those types of people in our churches right now. Those who are completely believing and teaching false belief systems that go completely against the Word of God. And my advice to us is, don't be that person. Know the truth. And every pastor in here on my staff will back that up. And if they don't, they're gone. Right, guys? They know. Because we, 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 can't, we can't have that. And, and I'll give you this, I'll give you this promise. If your pastor ever teaches you something that goes against the word of God, you fire me. You come to me, you call me on it, and if I won't bite, if I don't believe, if, I, if you do it biblically, and, I'm, and then you have responsibility. Because I don't ever, your responsibility to me as a Christian is more than your responsibility to me as a pastor. Amen? That's a fact. Thirdly and lastly, Practicing spiritual disciplines equips us for making disciples. And isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? <coughs> Did you know that God saved you for service? <laughs> this is perhaps one of the most difficult things for Christians to understand. Yes, I know that modern Christianity, modern pastors, and modern believers want to think that salvation is all about them. It isn't. Do I have your attention? It isn't. They teach that Christianity and salvation are for people. It's for us. In a manner of speaking, it might be, but in truth, it really isn't. Yes, Jesus died for us. No question about it. But he did it to make a way for us to return to the Father. Did you know that? Who knew that in here? It's so that you can live in eternity, yeah? Why does God want you to live in eternity? Because it builds his kingdom, that's why. It builds his kingdom. God saved us through Jesus to serve his kingdom. This is why Rick Warren gets it right in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Hey, I know Rick's a Baptist, but he's right about this. <laughs> he's right about a lot of things. Do you know, I could care less what church you attend. I could care less what denomination it is. Or what theology it is. Because if you agree on the things that matter in the scripture, then you're a Christian. You heard it here. I may disagree with some theological things with some people like that. But in the end, we're all saying the same things if we truly believe. Rick Warren says in the very first line of this book, it's not about you. And I believe that there were people who opened that book, read that, and thought, oh, oh well, I'm not reading this garbage. You know why? It's kind of clear. Because to them, everything is about them. It has to be. Or they're not happy. But in the kingdom of God, how far is that going to go? If it's all about you, can you be Christian? I would say not. 
I would say not. God's going to determine that, not me. But I would say not, because your practice doesn't prove it. Because you have to die to self to live for Him. Don't you? Isn't the Bible tell us we have to die to self to live for Him? Isn't that kind of part of the key? You see, we as Christians need to get over ourselves. Society teaches you it's all about you. And God says, no, no, it's not. It's about me and my kingdom. Satan is the only one who wants you to make it about you. God doesn't. Satan does. Because Satan knows that if you do, then you're completely off purpose of what God intended for you. You see, the Spirit regenerates us for reproduction. The Holy Spirit regenerates us for reproduction, to make more Christians, to make more disciples. You see, Christ delivered us for disciple-making. That's the reason He did it. You do know that, right? He spent His entire ministry teaching His disciples and the apostles that followed Him to do exactly that. That's exact, that was His mission. And anybody who teaches, he came to heal people. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He came to uh, cast out demons. No, he didn't. He did those things. Praise the Lord, he did it. And you know what? When people did those, and he, they saw those miracles, they were intrigued, and they wanted to know more, know more about him, didn't they? And praise God, he was able to do those things. But that was not his purpose. People get stuck in it that that's all he's there for. That's what the church is for. No, it's not. It's to make more disciples of others, to come to Christ. God would rather you die in this life than live for the next one. You understand? That's why he told Satan in the wilderness when he was tempted that man does not live by bread alone. In other words, it would be better for me to die of starvation in this life but feed on the word of God and have eternity. Yeah? Isn't that more important? But what do you think we're more focused on in the church sometimes? The bread. Aren't we? We're more focused on giving people food and sustenance. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Don't, don't hear me say that. But when that becomes your priority, then I question your Christianity. And our children's director said one time when we were trying to get the logistics together for feeding the kids in the neighborhood and to come to our church on Wednesday nights she said this this is all well and good it's a wonderful ministry but the most important thing we'll ever do is teach those kids about Jesus Christ more so than feeding them in their bellies sometimes we get them backwards and that, all of a sudden, it doesn't become a ministry of Christ anymore. It becomes a ministry of you. We're changed, friends, by God to become world changers. God changes us to become world changers. Paul said, for this reason, we labor and strive. Jesus was clear in Matthew 28 that we are to have a great commitment to the Great Commission. We're to grow up in Christ, for Christ, not for us. And to help others grow in Christ as well. Second Timothy is clear that this is true. 
We need to forget about making this about ourselves or what we're going to gain out of it. And unfortunately, we've turned it into that. That's how we evangelize people, what they can get out of it. No. They are going to gain something, and you should probably emphasize that. But the fact is, it's not for that. And when we think this way, we'll never sacrifice ourselves for the kingdom of God. And if we don't, neither will others. You know it, and I know it, and we better start living like it. And for those of us who are willing to do so, yet don't know how, I will leave you with this. Follow the Lord's commands, and He will do the rest. And as our worship team comes, yes, it really is that simple. Paul said, we have put our hope in the living God, and the God we serve is the Savior of all people. Listen to me, church. We don't have to make ourselves grow. We just have to practice spiritual disciplines as God's laid them out to us. And we don't have to make others grow neither. We just train them how to practice the spiritual disciplines that the Bible lays out for us that we ourselves know we need to practice and let others see us doing it, just as Jesus did. Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines and he became an example for all of us. God does the saving and the sanctifying. God is the one who delivers and develops. But if we do the practicing, the Lord will do the producing. Author and pastor Dr. Robbie Gallaty teaches that the life of a growing disciple of Jesus Christ is marked by four disciplines. He says you've got to pray continuously. You've got to read, and if you're able, to journal as well. Because some people learn by journaling. And you've got to do this every day, he says. You've got to memorize scripture weekly. And you've got to rely on the Spirit consistently. And if you do that, then, and then only then, will you be the Christian that God wants you to be. Friends, there are other spiritual disciplines to be practiced, I know. And if you practice these four things, you'll become more like Jesus Christ. Because it will be obvious. You can't help but grow if you do those things. Paul said, train yourself in godliness. And you can't do that, friends, by not being godly. I don't know that any of us are perfect on this earth. We can be, but we're not, probably. But we should strive to be so. Because Jesus was. Be like him, friends. Try to be everything you can be like him. Practice what he taught. And when you do, you'll grow. And isn't that what everybody truly wants anyway? Well, I guess we'll find out. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.